You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We talk about our stories, our journeys, how we get through the doubts and fears, figure out what it is that we do want, all of it, and how we claim our lives, our joy, our worth, our enoughness. On today's episode, I have Lisa Hayam of The Wellness Necessities. She has quickly become one of my favorite people in the social media world. She's all about calling out the food rules. She even has a program called Fork the Noise. Because really, when you think about it, like we have programmed with so many bullshit rules about everything in life, but definitely a lot about food. So I love her. I love all that she shares. And so I know you're going to love her too. Let's get to it. Okay, so this is exciting for me in some ways because most of the people I've interviewed so far, I have somewhat of a personal relationship with, so I know more about them. And I could have researched you more, but I intentionally like didn't because I think it's fun to like ask questions and be surprised. I love that. So I found you, I don't even know, someone else, I think maybe either my friend Sophie Jaffe or Robin Euclid sharing something of yours on Instagram a while ago. And I was just like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, I like what you're saying. And then I kept seeing your name come up and then I started following you and I'm like obsessed with you <laughs> and everything you post. I'm like, yes. And I don't know where I found you either, but I remember you had like one quote that really spoke to me as well. And that, I remember that was like the, that that's what drew me in the bait. But then, you know, everything you say too is, is really um, just aligned with how I feel. And you could tell that you're coming from such a genuine place too. And that's really easy to um, not have on social media to be saying something, but kind of not mean it. And right. it feels like you're really aligned. So that's what drew me to you as well. Thank you. And so you mostly share about food slash body image, but it seems to be mostly around food. Is that true? Yeah. And well, now um, and now also the mental attitude, but yeah, food, dieting, all that stuff that comes with there's, food is like such a big thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm a dietitian. That's like kind of first and foremost. So my expertise is in diet. Um, but the wellness necessity is my platform. Um, I mean, the great thing is, is I can talk about anything. I mean, I say anything that falls under the wellness umbrella, but as much as I talk about food, it is so much. So for me being able to express myself and talk about relationships and family and, um, you know, toxicity that may exist in either of those places, mental health, um, food is, you know, the part that is my expertise, but it all plays a role in how we feel, right? Like that's what wellness yeah. is. Yeah, totally. Like wellness is every part of your life because every part of your life affects you and how you think and feel. So it's all really like everything in life has to deal with wellness, I feel. But yeah, so I'm drawn to, I think mostly because I'm, you know, my first like healing wellness introduction to any of that probably was around food or like starting to heal myself with how I ate and looked at food and not being like, though, I'm on a diet and like growing up constantly, like my mom dieting this, she still to this day will be like, oh, you're still eating on your diet. And I'm like, I'm not on a diet. This is like the way that I eat. 
to feel my best or just that. But um, but then as I started to, I don't talk about food stuff that much anymore. And so if, in, in the mindset and all of that and body image and everything, like, so I'm more around mindset. So I think that's also why I love everything you're sharing because it's like, oh yeah, if I was saying things, this would be the same thing. So how did you, you are a nutritionalist, how did you, what was your journey that got you that you wanted to study food yeah. and its effect on the body. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it actually all kind of started and actually this is the case for a lot of us. It starts from a, uh, you don't realize it at the time, but a disordered place because you want to know how food affects your body um, because you're scared of food or you're starting to become a fearful of food. So what actually drew me to the industry, which, you know, I really didn't realize till I was quite along that path was a deep desire to control my body by way of food. And so through that, I learned that I actually love science and I love learning all about these things that I never in high school, like you couldn't have, you know, if you told me that I was going to take chemistry in college or after college, like I'd be like, no, I can't do that. I'm going to fail. But I actually love learning. Um, So what drew me to the field though was probably a desire to control my body and understand how food impacts it. But when I kind of started to learn, I realized that it was good and bad. I mean, I was learning things that were helping me see how powerful food is as um, medicine, as fuel, as nourishment, as all these things. But at the same time, and I, I speak for a lot of us, that it ends up (laughs) causing some food issues because all you're learning is about how powerful food is within so you know food is fuel food is nourishment food is this it's like food isn't joyful anymore you know food is purposeful and while that is true and it's important it's very easy to get carried away um and without even realizing it recognize that like this obsession about what or when and everything that you eat um, is actually taking away from the life that you want to live. And it's very confusing, especially once you commit to becoming a dietitian or a nutritionist, which is a very long process, especially if you're going to be a registered dietitian, to like detach yourself from this ideology that maybe food isn't as big a deal as we've made it. And and, And it is really powerful. And it's, I think that I have a hard time kind of getting that message across because you know, I'm speaking to a very privileged audience that when I speak to one, right? Like I'm, I'm not right. talking middle of America. I'm not talking to people that, um, you know, are, don't know when their next meal is going to be on the table. I'm talking to women who are like me, you know, we've lived very privileged lives. We've always you have lots of choices. Exactly. Lots, lots of choices, lots of um, ability to spend on potions and who knows what, and the ability to, to, not even just financially, the time I always say is the biggest resource. Like people who don't have time, don't have time to go find the option that doesn't have sugar or whatever it is. And a lot of this has to do with really our food system. But um, it's not to say that I think that, you know, you should eat whatever you want. Although that is kind of how I feel, but in a different way. I know it's like, it has so many like, Food is so powerful and healing, but also if you focus too much of it, then you're going to be so stressed out about it. It's like everything is like, yes, and that, but also this. Exactly. And my current philosophy, which um, has been my philosophy for the last five 
years or so, and one that I try and teach is how do we balance nourishing our bodies with having food freedom and not obsessing over it? So it's really a balance and it looks different than like how balance is chalked up on the internet or in magazines, you know, hashtag balance, eating a donut, like, sure, maybe, but like, that's really not what it's about. And so figuring out that, you know, a non-perfect diet can still be healthy or is in fact the healthy option is kind of my, my goal. And because, and, and just, yeah, helping people find freedom around food choices and recognizing that when you are actually listening to your body, it's not telling you necessarily to eat the donut every day for breakfast. It's yeah. go, your body craves again, from like a um, science perspective, it craves real food, but how do we get ourselves to listen to that part of our body when the mind is playing all these games on us because we've been ignoring our, what our body's been telling us for years. Sorry, that was long-winded. All good. And I, yeah, I think it is. It's such a fascinating thing. And that's why I love that you talk about it so much because I think that most people don't think about it, that it's still like even caught into like, oh, diet this. I'm going to, hey, I'm going to take better care of myself. Okay, now I'm like a wellness junkie. So that's like, I'm not like focused on diets. I'm into wellness. So that feels like, you know, they're better off. But then it is still the like, what's the hottest trend? Oh, am I supposed to be this? I'm supposed to be drinking celery juice. I'm supposed to like getting caught up on so many different things. Oh, now the news is that this is bad or what oil am I supposed to use that we can get so stuck on like <laughs> these little yeah. things. And, and a lot of times when we talk about wellness and these new products and these new uh, diets, they are really easy to miss because they are, if they're talking about weight loss, that might be on the back burner. You know, they're talking about energy and brain health and inflammation, you know, things like that. Yeah. And so it's very easy to, I mean, I feel like the best example, and I, I don't fully knock this because I love the premise of like something like the whole 30. I love the idea mm -hmm. of, you know, healthy habits in 30 days, resetting um, your body so that you're, you know, craving things. But yeah. as a, as a health professional, who works with people in food, you know, I get the call on day 31 of the whole 30 where it's like, what now? Are grains bad or dairy bad? Like what's good? What's bad? What, what do I do now that these 30 days are, are up? And right. so, and then the same thing goes with people who are like, you know, adopting to the paleo trend or veganism for the wrong reasons. All these things are under the, the umbrella of wellness, but they're not truly teaching you how to listen to your body. And they're instilling uh, food fears without yeah. you realizing. And so the problems start to happen when a person wants to live their life and they're being inhibited in some way because of food. Let me check this checklist. Is this, yeah, is this match these, you know, checks on these things that I've been following? So in that, yeah, you're saying that people are now more buying into following wellness trends and diets and ways of eating, not so much anymore. Like they're like, oh, I'm healthy. It's not to lose weight. It's because this is going to give me more energy. This is going to be mental clarity. Okay. We need to reduce inflammation so that it also feels like it's coming from a better place. Oh. Well, I'm not on this diet to lose weight. This is for my overall health and wellness. Right. And then the, the, the to the two folds kind of that happen or it's very empowering to take charge of your health, which is a good thing. Yeah. Right. To be making these choices, whether they're for yourself or for your family, it's very empowering. You feel like you have this really active say in your health, which is, which is great. And maybe you're feeling better. So it's like, Oh, I cut out dairy and 
Um, I easily lost five pounds, not even thinking about it. I have all this energy. It's all these positive things. Right. And it's like, until it's not. Until you realize, oh, shoot, I'm actually afraid of dairy. Uh, I went to this restaurant when, you know, having lunch with my grandma, who is on her, this made this really morbid, but, you know, she's on her last day and I'm trying to enjoy my last moments with her. And all I can think about is the cheese on my salad. Should I send it back? What should I do? You know, so it's like, we're... I made that a little too morbid. I didn't even mean to go in that direction. But no, but like I can see that being a real thing and how ridiculous that is. So like the the problem is, is that with this, these feelings of empowerment, oh, I'm, I'm really doing so well. We lose the ability to be flexible. And I think flexibility is really, really key no matter where you are, because that is how you balance what you value in life, what you care about with your, your diet. You know, so it's, yeah. it's easy to fall into this this trap of, oh, it's so easy. I'm I'm paleo. Who you know, making these swaps to being paleo or vegan are too easy, um, because of the substitutions. And right. oftentimes, people are not checking in with themselves. Like, have I developed fears of these foods? And these fears right. of these foods so are, interesting. are problematic. In terms and that, of- yeah, like the people that do the whole thirty, likely they're feeling awesome after thirty days. But then, so it's like, do I eat this way for the rest of my life, or what's going to happen if I? yeah, now eat grains or this, or I'm going to eat at this restaurant that doesn't have a Whole30 approved menu or whatever. So like they're yeah, feeling again, great. I'm not like bashing Whole30. Like I know that it has changed so many people's lives. Um, and I always try to like live in the gray. So I never want to like yeah. be strong about something. I just get, I'm giving that an example because that's something that like on February 1st, for the last three or four years, like I'm getting the most emails because it's people like, oh my God, now what? Um, so again, like, I think that there's so many pros and cons to all these different things that, but they're also, I'm just mentioning the caveats. So where do you remember like yourself starting to see this for yourself? So you said you got into nutritionalism, you know, and realized like started to become a nutritionalist and then realized, started to realize that what you were, had been doing, were trying to control yourself yeah. with food or something like that. But I'm guessing you, did you notice that right away when you started to study? Like, where did you start to see that this was happening and that you had created these fears and such? Yeah. There's so many different stages of my journey where like, I, I thought that I, you know, had gotten past it, but the way I was controlling food just continued to evolve in a different way. Um, so when I first got to college, it was veganism and it was veganism for the, the wrong reasons. Um, I think that you can be um, vegan for the right reasons. And, but I think that you can be vegan for, for the right reasons. I mean, ethic, ethics, um, the environment, all those different things. Anyway, neither of those were driving factors in my decision to be vegan. Um, and during this time, right before that, I should say, I kind of had all this, like all these thoughts about food. I could never stop thinking about, okay, I need to have the grilled chicken and I need to only have berries for dessert and things like that. When I became vegan, it felt so much easier because I had a lot less choices. And I thought that I had the whole thing under control by being vegan until I realized that I had developed fear foods, which were um, dairy and eggs and things like that. And so there was that layer of it. And then after I became vegan, I went back into vegetarianism. And the fear you realized, like when you had fear around them, it was not because, oh, I'm vegan. I'm not supposed to have them. It was more like, I think these things are going to make me fat or feel a certain way or. At that point, it was weight. Um, I was in my uh, early 20s and 
um, because this is a podcast and people won't actually see me. I'm naturally very thin. I never actually had a problem with weight. Um, people always told me I was skinny, but nonetheless, I developed a fear of gaining weight um, or had this deep desire to control my body. Um, but I do remember in college, first of all, I isolated myself completely, not in a noticeable way. Like I was still went to parties and I drank and I did all the things normal people did. But like, I was just recently thinking about this, how strange it was every day for lunch, everybody would leave campus and go to like the bagel place. And this was over, you know, 10 years or so ago, Whole Foods wasn't what it is right now, where like everybody knows Whole Foods, I would go to Whole Foods and just eat from the salad bar by myself. Um, and it didn't feel sad. But looking back, it's a little it's a little bit sad. And this is before I was even studying nutrition, but I remember seeing, I've always been in therapy, but I remember specifically seeking out a therapist because it was like, I couldn't stop thinking about food. Every single meal I'd be in lunch and I was thinking about dinner. I'd be at dinner and I was planning my breakfast and I was breakfast and I was thinking about lunch. Like it was just this nonstop. And I recognized that something was wrong. And I went to um, a therapist and she basically, she opened my eyes to this idea that OCD which I was never, I've never been formally diagnosed with, but in my uh, teenage, young teenage years, I definitely had OCD. Like I was really, couldn't even like leave my house without touching things a zillion times. Like it was, you know, the whole thing. But I'd, I'd somehow moved away from that. And her sort of assessment was like, sometimes OCD doesn't actually leave. It just manifests itself differently. And it seems like you're obsessing right now over food. And that really like spoke to me. And that was my first kind of like wake up call. But as I began to study nutrition, it turned into clean eating. And then like, it just basically took all these different turns over the course of, I don't know, five to seven years where I kept thinking that I was liberated with food choices. But in reality, I just kept finding these new ways to deal with food thoughts. So when I was eating clean, I had cheat days and the cheat, you know, and, and the whole point is that at no point was I ever listening to my body. I was attaching myself to new sets of rules. Yeah. And you don't realize how disordered it is until you really move away from it. And you're just like, well, you know, you are so controlled with food, obsessed with, you know, checking your body in, in the mirror, obsessed with going to the gym before you did anything else. And as someone who you say you've always been naturally thin, do you know, can you figure out why you were still so obsessed with that? Did you like have a fear of one day I'm not going to like naturally thin or people always comp compliment me because I'm thin. So I need to keep it up. Like, do you have any idea what would have because I've not someone who's ever been naturally thin. I'm not like overweight, but I've always been someone that felt like I mean, I I gave up with fat when I was like in junior high was like, Oh, fat's bad. We're not supposed to have fat. And like, so I was never like super large, but I was always like, you you need to pay attention to what you're doing or else you're, you're going to be, you're going to be large. And I was, my mom was always dieting. Like she was a little bit bigger. So I was always like in that. So I don't know what the experience is of always being thin and then still being obsessed with that. Yeah. And, and thank you for being open to having that conversation. I know a lot of people really shut down when I tell this side of the story, but I continue to tell it because, um, there's a whole group of people just like me that understand. And I know I mean to, uh, take away from your story or people in bigger body stories by telling this part of the story. It's just my reality. And therefore, um, I share it because for each time I do, you know, I hear from 
people that that understand it. So thank you for holding this space for me, despite not understanding, you know, what it's like. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, though. Like, I want you, of course, to say it because that's your experience. And I have no idea. Nobody can know what anyone else's experience is. Somebody could make up, oh, well, what are you talking about? Your life must be easier because you always sin. But that's not what your experience likely was. And that there are tons of people I'm sure that are out there. And then I'm sure you probably get people telling you like, oh, eat a sandwich and criticizing you Uh maybe for being thin. Yeah. (laughs) Like too. So I would love to hear all of that experience. There's, there's a lot to it, especially as I continue to even unpack it to this day. Uh, number one was just the home where, um, the idea of what's beautiful was very like, you know, magazine pretty kind of always been told that like skinny, big boobs, blonde hair, all of that is attractive. And as I was making my way into puberty, my body started to change and I wasn't necessarily like gaining weight and like you're a fat way, but my body was changing and I didn't like it. Um, there were girls that just had like naturally flat stomachs and then they had like, you know, boobs, my boobs were not coming in. My stomach was like a different shape than theirs. And so like, Oh, I want to look like them. What do you do? Like easy. You try and lose weight. It was just like, that's the only thing I knew to do or, or try and control is to try and control my body through food. So it started in this physical way and kind of as I manipulated my body a bit, it became this fear of gaining weight. And as I got into like fitness, uh, it was always this, this fear of losing my gains or my progress or setting myself back. Um, and so I think it's a combination of a lot of things, uh, diet culture, um, the societal view of what beauty is, a fear of what am I if I'm not beautiful or skinny, especially with people always, you know, maybe not complimenting me, but commenting on how skinny I am. Um, And not always in a positive way, by the way, but nonetheless, who am I if not? Um, And going to college and trying to figure out my identity just kind of like scared me, you know? It's like, who are you if you're not? I went to this, where I went to college my freshman year was the school in uh, South Florida, FSU. And it's funny as you look at like different states in the U.S., like because the ideas of beautiful change right. per situation. And I was talking to somebody about this, like it's really easy to become really influenced by where you are. So uh, when I was leaving high school, actually, I so I, I like never grew boobs. And so I um, and, and it always made me feel really insecure. Like I had boyfriends, like I was able to like be normal, but I couldn't wear clothing. I couldn't wear bathing suits. Like everything was just this really big struggle. Struggle. Like my boobs just never came in. So when I turned 18, I got my boobs done right before I went to college. But I had a really positive role model in my life, this girl, Jess, and she had like the smallest boobs. So I, when I went in to get my surgery, it was like, no, I don't want big boobs. I just want something like mm-hmm. just anything. Like I don't even want to wear a bra. And so to this day, like I have like a 32A, 32B. But when I went to college, like right after I got this, all the girls in college had huge boobs and, you know, like not model bodies. That's not right. Like, like bikini model bodies, you know, like like sports illustrator, like exactly. Yeah. Like (laughs) Like the sexy level that like, wasn't where I come from. Like that wasn't the body type that like people, you know, loved. It was just more normal. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No, I get it to say it. Um, but when, as soon as I got to college, 
even though like right before I got to college, I was so happy with my new boobs. Like they were perfect. I started to wear like push-up bras and trying to make them look bigger. And I was really influenced by that culture so quickly. Um, and it, it was just fascinating to see sort of how that happens. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, okay, I've got this. So now I think I'm like, got my piece and then you go over here and like, oh no, <laughs> this is what I'm supposed to look like yeah, or live up to. Really the danger um, started to veer a little bit here, but it's in the same vein of social media. Like we are now seeing, you know, when, in the past, you know, I lived here. I didn't know what was happening over out in California or LA or Texas or Chicago or Miami or whatever. Yeah. Like maybe I did in glimpses, but it wasn't all consuming. With social media, we're seeing like, ideals of beauty change really rapidly. Um, we're seeing it happen with plastic surgery, but without like disclaiming that it's plastic. Right. <laughs> and kind of like, why aren't my lips that big? Why isn't my nose that small? Why aren't my teeth that white? Meanwhile, like there's a lot of things happening to get a person there, but social media doesn't tell that story. And I think besides the like professional photos and whatever, I'm like tints, what are they called? <laughs> And what? I'm like, can't think of the word for a uh, filter. I was like, tints. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> for, yeah. Besides like any work that's done, it's also like they're sitting a certain way and they have the perfect photo and they probably take took like 300 photos. <laughs> right. And they're like, yeah, exactly. So I, I really worry about the teenager, young 20 girl right now who's going through this because like I said when I went to South Florida and all I saw was like this new form of beauty I wanted to be like that when the world is now our oyster which it is with social media it's really easy to be influenced by this form of you know like what other people are are doing yeah this this unattainable standard of beauty yeah I know it's a lot I'm trying to, I have two little girls. I mean, they're like two and almost four. So they're young, but I am already so conscious to the language that we use of even like, it's, this is so harmless in some ways, but I was aware of it. Like of my mom being like, come here, Zia, let's brush your hair so you can look pretty of like, even something like that. Like the languaging that we're used to using or like, you know, are like already commenting on bodies when they're like young. Oh, you're so chubby. And even though it's a cute way of like, that it's just like, you know, like, it's like, okay, she's like one in that, but like, we're going to need to watch commenting on her weight as she gets older. And also like her, their dad, it's like, they don't, I don't think men realize that sort of stuff. No. And so much is just like socialized normally. Um, like you said, like, let me brush your hair. So pretty, um, like to look pretty, pretty. like we need to brush your hair. So you'll look pretty like that was like, you have to look this way. So then you'll be this was immediately what my mind to. And my mom's just like trying to get my daughter to get her hair brushed. But I was like, mom, I'm going to, I'm trying to not comment on the physical (laughs) appearances of my kids because I realize that I have a lot of stuff. Right. That I've carried through my life from society, from this, like, cause I, even yesterday she got into town and was like, Oh, you look slim. You look good in that bathing suit. Oh, Trisha, you look slim and trim. Like you've lost some weight. And that you'd think would be a compliment. It triggered me. I was like, don't fucking talk about my body. <laughs> I didn't say that to her. That's what happened in my mind. I was like, I shut down. My mom gave me a compliment. Cause yeah, I had two babies in two years and I wasn't like, let me lose the body weight. But now I have been, I've, the weight has started to fall off and people are starting to comment on it. And you would think I would be receptive to that. 
I'm not when I get a compliment about my weight, my brain immediately goes to, so I wasn't good enough then. Oh, totally. Totally. (laughs) And I told my mom that and even my neighbor, they're like, what do you mean? That's a compliment. People don't mean it that way. And I said, I know that people don't mean it that way. I know that they are trying to say something nice. But what I'm saying is you don't know anybody else's experience. And my experience is when you give me a compliment based on what my body looks like, my mind immediately turns it into a version of I'm not enough. Oh, because I wasn't enough last time you saw me then. (laughs) Someone someone recently said to me, like I was at the gym and they're like, wow, you look like really fit and toned. And I was like, thanks. I haven't done anything different. Like, no, you really look like more fit and toned. But to your point, my mind was, what did I look like last time I saw you? Like, what, what do I look like now? What's the difference? What have I done? And I think that it's important to tell these stories so that we help other people take two steps back, right? Because I think that like your mom, the person who said it to me, like, honestly, a lot of times people are just putting their foot in their mouth and they don't know what to say and they just comment. Um, I was with somebody who had babies recently and we like ran into virtually a stranger, like somebody we haven't seen in a long time. And it was, oh my God, you had babies X months ago. You know, you look amazing. You look amazing. And I'm listening to this conversation and they're basking in it also because they feel really good. But it's just like you, I think like people just don't know what else to comment on that. And these are the things that we hear people say. So we repeat it and we reinforce this thing back and forth. So yeah, I, so for, I'm so thankful that you brought that up. Um, and I'm guilty of, of, of saying things like that. Me too. too. <laughs> I was like, I'm sensitive to this, but then I probably say it to someone else. You see somebody, oh my God, you look great. Because they great. do. Right. But then I don't know how they're going to receive that. <laughs> totally, totally. And I mean, when people lose weight too, it's like, oh my God, you look so good. You lost weight. I mean, that's like so many people have gone through that and it perpetuates it, it for them. And it just flies out of your mouth sometimes faster than you even mean to. So it's so important to be taking that step back to, you know, evaluate what else can I comment on and compliment this person on, um, you know, is saying, Oh my God, I love your shoes. Like, is that vain? You know, but right. Well, and that's what's so funny. So like, yeah, I was was telling my mom this yesterday when she did comment about my weight and I sort of shut down. And then I later was like, I actually have a social media post ready to post that I haven't posted yet that says I'm no longer receiving external validation about my body or comments on my body or something like that. And, you know, and then we got in the conversation where, like I said, where my neighbor was like, well, they probably mean it as a compliment. And I said, I know that, but my mind and I'm a very conscious person, a very mindful person, I would love to receive that information positively, but I don't. Like because of my life, things I've been taught, how I've been raised, my mind automatically somehow turns it into a negative. And so, but I haven't yet shared this post because I then see, and then today I said to my mom, I like that shirt. I liked her shirt. And she texted me and said, oh, that was, was that a test? I just realized that was a test. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, cause you said you didn't want to comment on. And I was like, oh, well, if I would have said you look really thin in that shirt. Yeah. But then again, I was like, yeah, it's a slippery slope because I'm now saying don't talk about my body, but then I'm still offering people. <laughs> yeah. So but I think that's a good point. Just to, like we're all human. We're all trying to do better. It's really easy to, you know, not know what the person's going to say. What I always try and bring it back to from a personal level, level, because, you know, I want listeners to take away from something is like, what was the intentionality of that person? You know, what did they mean? Because yes, it, the, our first response is 
you and me, any people is going to be, well, what was I not enough last time? That's the first response, right? And I always refer to like the devil voice or the demon voice, I call it, and the goddess voice. And we can never turn off the demon voice, but we can get really good at countering it with the goddess voice. So like one's an emotional reaction, but then we have like a rational side that really, you know, is on our side. So yes, maybe your first reaction is, was I not enough last time? But can you breathe, pause, take a second and insert um, the rational, kind version of you that says, okay, what did that person mean by it? Does it matter? You know, let's try not to internalize this and turn this into something that you take action on or even ruminate with, right? Yeah. And I also realize I might have a different reaction based on who's saying it and also the day because it's just how I'm feeling with myself. And so, yeah, I thank you for bringing it back to because I was saying this is what happens in my mind. But like, yeah, I, of course, try to realize they are just giving me a compliment. They're coming from a good place. And so even my mind and body reacts a certain way to see it as what what do I think that their intention was. Yeah. And then also bringing it back, like, yes, it's great that you're having these conversations with your mother, but there's so many of us that, you know, can't have these conversations with our mother. Like there's just no changing that generation or the generation above her or sometimes friends, like our own generation. And it's like, how do we stop it from happening, but without like criticizing somebody. Cause again, it sounds like you and your mom have a great relationship. It sounds like she's receptive, but uh, yes. Sounds- and no, I'm like, we have our own, like we have a great relationship, but you know, that definitely comes with a, many, you know, challenges from the history of growing up. Like, you know, but I love her very much, but yeah. So that's, we definitely trigger each other. Yeah. <laughs> and so I do have to be careful about when I have the conversation. So that's why in that moment, when she said that comment about me being thin, I didn't say anything until I was ready to have a conversation where I was coming from my heart and not a don't you fucking talk to me like that way. (laughs) Yeah, really well said. said. Um, When it comes to like food, you know, that's something that a lot of my students, I have an online course, um, a lot of my students have been really talking about is, you know, how do I deal with my family who are so immersed in diet culture or my friends? Um, And it's funny when I'm in this situation, at dinner with my in-laws or my mom and they're talking about calories and carbs are bad and blah, blah, blah. And like, what's my role in that moment? And I don't think it's my job to change the world. It's just my job to change the people that want help and really pay attention to my inner voice. So I'm constantly, you know, being challenged with these things that used to be really triggering. And if you don't notice that, like that's information, I always talk about like building an information gate or an information wall because what's happening with social media or just day-to-day living is we're hearing things and we let it all in. But you actually have an active say in what you allow in and what you view to choose as truthful or accept as being truth or helpful information versus garbage. So when I'm at dinner with my in-laws, I'm, you know, it's not my place. It's not my role to tell them what to eat, how to talk about food. It would actually come off really disrespectful if I, you know, engage myself into this conversation. But in my mind, I'm like, well, not listening. That's, that's some noise. Let them do that. And look at my fiance and laugh, you know, he knows. And I move on because it doesn't serve me, but just because it doesn't serve me, doesn't mean I need to like give up a lot of energy to have that conversation with them. Yeah, I totally get that. And also I I've wanted to say when I did, when I was talking again with my mom and like saying, you know, I was like, I just have, I said, it's not you. I realize you're having, you know, like 
a positive thing. Like, but this is something that is inside me from society, from the way I was raised and brought up. And then, you know, and like whatever is that I'm now noticing and working on. Um, And she was like, what does that mean? Is that for me? Did I do that to you? And a part of me wanted to say no. But the reality is, yeah, she has a part in it. But so what I said was the truth was like, I said, well, yes and no, because you're a product of the society as well. And that you were raised in that when I was growing up, you were very much focused on your weight and diets and what's right to eat or wrong. And that wasn't your fault. That's what society was teaching you, which I also then picked up on. So I was like, it's not your fault that, you know, that this is part of me. But like, yeah, I did pick up on a lot of that from home. But so sort of like saying like, yeah, you had a part in it, but like, it's not your fault because society did that to you as well. But there's something really huge that you said that again, I think like a listener could really take away is like when your mom first, no, when you were first expressing to your mom, you said, I have this thing. If you had said you did this, this and this, her response wouldn't have been, oh, wait, did I have something to do with it? It would have been like, it would have been defensive. She would have shut down, likely like, would have said, I'm going I home. I <laughs> have this thing, whether it's true or not, you know, maybe you're thinking in my head, I, I have this thing because of you, you know, maybe it's something like that, but you disarmed her. And as a result, she wasn't defensive or combative. She genuinely wanted to know, did I play a role in this? And I think that like the way we communicate is so important and it's an art and it's so easy yeah. to um not be good at because most of us speak emotionally or mm-hmm. as our thoughts form and i think that how we communicate is 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 how um a function of how successful we are in our relationships so knowing like you clearly know how to communicate with your mom which or just in general just using i versus you language is really huge and it's hard in the beginning to take ownership and say I but when yeah. you see the response from somebody else and I'm always playing little games with my fiance like because I think it's fun to like just see how he psychologically works and when I like in, do something the opposite of what I want to do I win <laughs> like, I know it sounds funny but when you do something the opposite of what you want to do well, like when my instinct is to react and scream at him and be like, you know, are you serious right now? Shut up. Like, you yeah, know, something, whatever. And I do the opposite. I soften, you know, um, and I ask a question like, I'm sorry, are you not feeling well today? Did you do this? You know, when I ask, like he softens and then he's apologizing. And it's like, yeah, the whole thing could have just been a whole other situation if I didn't use my words wisely. And I and feel it like came I from a reactive like, place. Yeah. I live my whole life from a reactive place um, until really recently with all things and learning how to communicate in a a really productive way is super important. I love that story with you and your mom. Totally. And that's what I am generally someone who is, I am fiery, I am reactive. And so it has been a long, you know, and I'm still can be reactive, but yeah, I'm constantly trying to be like, how can I, because it's also realizing that everybody's experience is different. And so that, yeah, and it's, and also it's a lot of, I feel like the more you get self-aware, the more you have compassion and awareness for others. It's realizing 
I'm feeling this way. That doesn't mean it's necessarily they their fault, even if they said that or did that. So then like realizing I'm feeling this way. And if you're replying, you know, even just saying like, I'm feeling this way because you said this or because you did this, they might not realize it. They didn't. That might not have been their attention. It might have been their intention. But again, that yeah, like just trying to see that like everybody's also everybody's got their own shit. Everybody has their own past. Everybody has their own stories. Everybody has their own stuff that they're trying to deal with. And so, yeah, it's like the more self-aware I've become, the more awareness I have that everyone else is dealing with their own thing and junk. And so that it helps me to communicate. And that's the beauty of self-compassion and taking time to really dive into your own stuff and get soft um, and be easy on yourself is it, it, spreads you're you know more compassionate to others you see life bigger not smaller and that's a really good point hey it's me trisha coming to you with a brief interruption to talk to you about my amazing sponsor salt co and their back to school campaign 30 scholarships 30 days 30 activists to raise awareness about period poverty what okay If you don't know what salt is, it's a reusable feminine hygiene brand. Yeah, they make period cups, which um, honestly have been life changing in my world. Don't have to think about tampons, think about buying tampons. Don't think about them leaking. Don't have to think about how long has it been in my body? Is it creating toxic shock syndrome? All of that. It saves my money. It saves my time. I love it. Feel free to DM me and ask me all things period cup. I'm not shitting you. I will tell you anything you want to know. <laughs> okay. But besides the amazing product and how much I love it, the company is even more amazing. What is period poverty? Well, in developing nations, uh, think about it. They don't have access or the funds to be buying the tampons and pads that I find frustrating to do. Well, they just don't have the access to it. And even people locally that are living in poverty. So what do they do? They're using all sorts of unhygienic methods like taking paper from their school books, dirt, taking some like, you know, wadding up clothing. Yeah, not the best methods, which often leaves to 20% of girls missing their school year. They're missing 20% of the school year because of their periods, which eventually means they drop out, which means less opportunities for them in life, which is So sad, especially because it has to do with their period. So that is why the September campaign is about bringing awareness to period poverty. Every day on their Instagram account, they're teaming up with an activist to spread the message, to spread awareness. And they're also giving away Salt Duo Packs every single day. So go follow them at Salt Co. That's with two A's. And they are also funding 30 annual scholarships to schoolgirls in Nepal and Kenya and donating 30 cups a day for Classroom of Girls. So I love the Salt Company period cup because seriously, it's made my life so much easier. Like I change the thing morning and night most days. One day of my cycle, the heavier day, I'll have to change it one other time. Seriously, it's made it so much easier for me. And then they are gifting these things around the world to make life easier for girls and women so that they can actually be showing up for their life and trying to make themselves a better future. So please go check out saltco.com. They have tons of information on there about how to use the products, their mission, 
the work that they're doing, because they don't just do this in September. They give back constantly, but this is just their awareness for this month. You can use the code CLAIMIT for 10% up off of your code. And also you can find them in your local Target. So at S-A-A-L-T-Co.com and at SaltCo on Instagram. Go check them out and hey, share the awareness. Go find one of their posts and share it. Let's bring awareness to what is happening in this period of poverty. Now let's get back to the episode. Let's get back to you and <laughs> your story. <laughs> so did you start when you went to like Florida? Were you already going to study nutritionalism or? No, I actually didn't uh, get, do nutrition until actually after I graduated college. Um, I did it as my master's. But during those years, just my relationship to food was in and out. But I still didn't recognize that like majority of what I was doing was really as disordered as it was. And I I just had this this the only sustained interest that I had over the course of college four years was nutrition. So I knew it was time to make that leap when I was graduating because the only thing I wanted to do is be a dietitian. What were you studying? Uh, I did psychology and communications. I did it. I was a double major. Um, I transferred to a different school, but yeah, towards like the last year I had already had the plan that I was going to be, you know, getting my master's instead of a, a um, undergraduate. Because you were starting to take nutritionalist nutrition classes. Yeah, I was starting yeah. to take because it was going to be a whole other path to kind of get where I wanted to go. So yeah, I moved back to New York and I did three years at Columbia where I studied nutrition and exercise physiology. Um, yeah. And at that point in my life, my food journey was starting to look more like that eating clean stage. Um, I was learning about exercise, which is really cool and to see how the food plays a role in all of that. So I was really understanding like food is fuel, less um, about the, you know, food wasn't the enemy anymore, but certain foods were, it was very like good foods and bad foods at that point. And school really reinforced that. And again, very hard to see. And it's kind of like the more you learn and the more you're in that industry, again, the more you kind of take it too seriously. And eventually I opened my own practice and I, you don't get to really like choose your specialty when you're opening your business for the first time. So I was seeing all types of clients. And just for the first year, I was just generally unsatisfied. I felt kind of like what I was- did most people come to when people go to see a nutritionalist first? Like, what are they coming for? Weight loss is usually number one. Um, people that like, are- tell me the way to eat. Yes, like, exactly. I need the right way to eat. Yeah. I mean, I, I, as a registered dietitian, I'm trained like medically too. So it's also diabetes, Crohn's, colitis, things like that, um, which are a little bit different, but let's just say for the most part, somebody that's willing to spend money out of pocket, no insurance is usually going to be weight loss as their first and foremost. Um, I had an older clientele to begin with and, um, you know, I, kind of just put on my registered dietitian pants and was kind of spewing out all the information that I learned very much like a, like a calculator, you know, I was making meal plans for people and I felt dissatisfied. And I also felt a little bit like a liar because here I was telling people what to eat, but I wasn't living this life myself. So at the same time, my business was taking off. I had not intentionally, but I was just at the stage in my life and a couple things kind of came together where I was just experiencing food freedom. 
And it was like, how am I doing this? And how can I give this information to other people? So you launched the practice and then the food freedom, like what did that look like for you? Like you just finally stopped labeling things good and bad. Like you were allowed to have. Yeah. So many, so many different things going out to dinner, you know, not being crazy with the ingredients, eating dessert every single night. If that should happen, actively choosing, do I want dessert or do I not, not living with these rules and restrictions and all these things. Um, and I randomly picked up a book one day about four and a half, five years ago, and it was on mindful eating. And as I was like turning the pages, I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing without realizing, you know, I've like, this is what has allowed me to find peace with food. And I didn't even know this is a thing. Like, how can I learn more about mindful eating so that I can bring these tools back to my clients? Um, And so that was like my first sort of taste of what mindful eating is. And, you know, as a dietitian, I take credentials very seriously. I wasn't going to just like start spewing this information to my clients without really knowing how to best deliver it. And so I took an online mindful eating course and so much of it was wonderful. And there was still a portion of it that just didn't speak to me. Um, It was still geared towards weight loss, like mindful eating kind of for weight loss. Um, And something about it just didn't exactly add up to how I wanted to deliver the information, but some of what I took out of it was so great. And so there were certain meditations and practices and exercises that I started to do with my clients, kind of like extracting what I'd learned. And I was watching my clients have these profound realizations once I stopped giving them rules of what not to eat, what to eat, but rather guiding them through meditations and exercises and having them experience their food in a different way. So I did. So you went from like, here's your meal plan, eat exactly this in your practice to then being like giving them, I mean, were you still like giving them meal plans or it sort of went more into like um, well, more in touch with what they. It's a, yeah, exactly. It's a combination of both. So it was no longer like, you know, eat an egg white omelet with spinach and this for breakfast and a smoothie and a, I don't know, whatever it is for a half an avocado with turkey for lunch, whatever. Um, but rather, I found a way to educate and talk about nutrition in a way that was empowering, not fearful, and combine them, but combine that with teaching them how to listen to their bodies. And I worked with one on one with clients for three or so years doing that. And it was just incredible the freedom that people were achieving. And like I said in the beginning of this, like people are eating what they want, but eating what they want, they realize isn't, you know, a donut every single day. Learning how to listen to your body means understanding that your body might actually ask you for salad for breakfast one day and kind of not having these rigid rules about it. I have to have a breakfast food. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And uh, about a year ago, yeah, a little over a year ago, my fiance and I moved to DC. And so I closed my practice in New York City. I had an office and everything. And I was really ready to, you know, with this move, make some big changes to help more people. And the way uh, to do that was through an online course and courses, I should say, courses in the future. And so when we moved, I, you know, I kept the clients that I, that I had, but I stopped taking new one-on-ones so that I could focus on building a program to teach people what I was doing one-on-one. 
So now I have a course called Fork the Noise Fundamentals, and it's a five-week program all about um, learning to listen to your body combined with nutrition education. Nutrition, nutrition education is a really small part, but it's a really important part because a lot of people are afraid to do the listening to your body component because they um, that doesn't make sense to them. Why would I, why would I want to eat donuts and ice cream all day? That's not healthy. And that's not what I'm saying. And that's why we actually cover nutrition right. at the very beginning. I'm going to help you structure your meals and understand what balance looks like, why carbs, fats, and proteins, um, are necessary, why you can never cut any of them out. Um, and here's why. And I think with this basic understanding of nutrition, which is all I give, it's very basic. You, um, combat a lot of that noise around you. And I just wish that if we were taught this stuff in high school, like we'd have a lot, the the nutrition aspect, we'd have far less rates of disordered eating and eating disorders because we're equipping people with the knowledge that they deserve. I mean, we eat multiple times a day to not be empowering our children with information about what food does for us. And, you know, in my day, we weren't given information like that. It was like, carbs are bad. You know, fat is bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Only eat a limited amount of proteins. Like what's left? <laughs> like, what yeah. am I supposed It's to- all so confusing. And so I make up most people like that. It's so great to have the nutritional element in there as long, because I make up people like don't trust themselves that you're now like, oh, well here, like, listen to your body. And they're like, I don't even like, no, because we do, we have all these rules. I don't know how long, like, I didn't eat white potatoes Ugh, I love potato. for, like, I don't know how long. I think I finally, when I got pregnant, was, like, craving white pot- potatoes. And I realized I think it was, like, a potassium thing. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but I was like, this is so weird. I'm, like, craving baked potatoes and, like, this. Like, I never ate French fries. I finally, at some point, was like, oh, I have some, like, look at me. Like, I'm allowed to have fries, but I would get sweet potato fries. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like French fries. And I told then I even would tell myself like, oh, I don't like French fries. I just like sweet potato fries. When yeah. I got pregnant again, I started to crave French fries. And I was like, cool. Like that pregnancy did allow me to like realize some rules I had created for myself that I didn't know about. And I was like, OK, yeah, you're pregnant. You're allowed to have French fries, you know, and then having it. And now like I still have French fries like once a week or like, oh, potatoes aren't bad. Like I'm roasting veggies, but I only do like sweet potatoes and carrots and root veggies. But yep. never white potatoes. It's like now like white potatoes are a standard in my house of these rules that I didn't even like, like I said, like realize that I had and that it is like so much besides the sweets and the like all of that stuff. Like I didn't have a donut for like 15 years of my life. I don't like <laughs> I don't think all of college I had like one noodle, like one piece of pasta. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was thinking about too, like I am I have fibromyalgia and not eating gluten was a major game changer for me. So that is the one like rule I follow because of it's a legit thing. But so also but like brown rice pasta is like a staple in my house now. And I remember I now often think like, how come I went so many years with never having pasta like brown rice, but like it's just brown rice. The ingredients are like brown rice like that's and it's something as long I've been gluten free since 2004. So that was way before there were so many options. But I was like, that was something I was around earlier. And I was like, I think because it was again, like carbs are bad or like that I had these rules. In me. Well, my, like, my, big, my big fear food as well, um, like that I carried I, with me through, I feel like, you know, again, like six, seven years ago was French fries as well. Um, and I would binge on French fries when I allowed myself to have it, like no French fry left behind. And now yeah. I still struggle with that. 
I still struggle with that. I mean, it's really hard to it's hard to disentangle from these, these old rules and mindset. And that's what, you know, forking the noise it's about. It's about getting quiet and listening, you know, are these French fries even good? And these are questions that I'm able mm-hmm. to ask myself. Um, I got this message from a student today. It was like, it just speaks to what we were saying. She just said, I just want to let you know something that happened. I just finished eating dinner and I wanted something sweet. We don't really have a ton of stuff in the house. The only sweet thing we had was cookie butter. I used to have a huge binging problem with cookie butter. Once I started eating it, I did not stop capital letters, explanation point. I started eating it and I could not stop. Um, oh, sorry. I started eating it. I did not stop. I haven't honestly had it in a long time because I was afraid of binging and afraid of regressing. But tonight I decided I was going to have a spoonful because I wanted something sweet. Stuck my spoon in, got some, and you know what? I didn't even freaking like it. It was way too <laughs> sweet. sickeningly sweet. I tasted it again. Finished my small spoonful, but had zero desire to have any more. I couldn't believe it. Six months ago, I would have finished the entire jar. And yeah. that's what it's it's about. It's about listening without judgment. And you realize that you have opinions you may not have even had. Totally. And that's what I even like last night was. Re- and I have the like, yeah, it's an interesting because I feel like once I created freedom for myself, which for me, a big it happened like years ago, too. I thought I was going to India. I'd given all my stuff away. I was like, I'm gonna go to India for a while, maybe six months. And before I was leaving on the trip, I was like, oh, I can eat pizza. I'm gonna have grilled cheese. I'm gonna eat these things. I'm allowed to have all these things because I'm gonna be in India for six months. So I'll only have Indian food. Interesting. So like in my mind, I was like, I heard myself saying like, oh, I can have this tonight and this tomorrow. It wasn't just like, oh, okay, you're going to pizza once this week, you know, like whatever. I can, I can, I'm allowed to eat all these things because I'm not going to have them there. And then I heard myself say that and I was like, well, that's ridiculous. Right. (laughs) But like, so then I went to India, I came back. And when I came back, I was like, I'm allowed to have all of these things. So I gave myself freedom, but I went like too much. It was sort of like, then you're eating every bite of this pizza. Like you're eating the entire carton because you are allowed. And so then I had to then work back from that too. Or like, you're allowed to have French fries. You would order French fries every time at your restaurant. And then being like, wait, I don't, these French fries aren't even good. Right. (laughs) If I want French fries, I'm going to go to this restaurant. Exactly. Something I also just realized though, is that I still have the mindset of not wanting to waste food. Mm -hmm or money. Mm-hmm. So I like when I go to have these french fries, I love these french fries. I pride myself on eating every single one plus then the salad I will also get with fish. Like that's my like I love this meal. I eat every one and I feel good afterwards. So I know that it's okay. Like the, there must be a, made of good oils and stuff like that, but I still like realized uh I'm now there's some fear about not eating them all. Yeah, and I think like And I never want to encourage food waste. Like that's a big problem that we have, but at the same time, and you know, may not, may not agree with this, but like once you pay for those fries, like it's a sunk cost, like you paid for them, whether you eat them or not, doesn't change the fact of you spent the money or not. So treating your, your body like a disposal for the sake of, you know, wasting money is just a made up thing. Of course you don't want to order the fries if you're in no mood for the fries. Right. I, I, when, correcting our relationship with food. It's something to just be conscious of, of these external factors that drive us to eat or, or not eat, you know, and maybe there's leftovers, maybe you give them, I don't know where you live or in New York or where I used to live, you know, like there's homeless people, there's plenty of people that like, if I don't eat it, they will. Um, or a lot of times fries aren't really the best leftover food, but leftovers, you know, I'm happy to eat the next day or, or, or whatever. Yeah. 
But yeah, I thought it was interesting. And that's what it wasn't interesting. Like I caught myself like, why am I feeling the desire to finish these? Is it because I'm getting joy from them or because I feel like I'm not allowed to waste them? Right. Well, because, because my I money is precious to me for them is even another one. Like I know I yeah. like these fries, so I'm eating them, I'm eating them, but I'm not even actually paying attention to do I even like these fries. Yeah. And um, in my episode with Robin, Euclid, who's a friend of mine, we talked about this, like, how are you supposed to listen to your w- intuition and like this, like, oh, I want fries, whatever. And she was like, made this comment of like asking yourself, if you come from out of a place of like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to order those fries tonight? Like, try that on instead of like, I'm allowed to have the fries. And so I went to my favorite restaurant after that and I got the fries and I thought of it that way because again like I was like I have food freedom like I'm allowed to eat fries and I fucking love these fries I didn't I didn't realize that I still had some like stuff there and I heard that like isn't it fun and for the first time I didn't finish the fries and I was so fucking pissed (laughs) I was like no but I took them home and I put them in my air fryer and they did taste good (laughs) but the next day because I was like these aren't gonna be good I don't want to waste them but I'm actually like good I enjoyed half the fries and I don't want any like it doesn't feel fun anymore it feels like I'm pressuring myself to finish them and so it was an interesting thing there's so much shit in our minds (laughs) I think we always need to be taking a step back and uh you know am I experiencing food freedom? I mean, you know, where I'm in, I'm in my life right now, I'm really stable, but you know, if I, one day, God bless, you know, I'm able to have children. I'm, I'm sure a lot of things are going to come up for me just, just knowing that. And then the after children, you know, it's like, or, you know, as a, as we age, even if you don't have children and your hormones check, like we need to constantly be checking in with ourselves and making sure that we are listening to our bodies and, you know, not having these overriding rules or principles for any reason, whether they're weight or waste or whatever. So what do you have? Um, like, obviously, rec- highly recommend the course, but for people that are, are even like, well, what even is mindful like, yeah. eating? So I refer to like, it as like a modern mindful eating just because I, I've taken some principles from mindful eating, but I've also put my own spin on it of what I've found has has worked for them. Um, and food freedom, you know, like what's the first step? Is that what you mean? Or just like for people even like to listen to that, if they're like not gonna be like yeah let me go sign up for the course but just like an easy way for people to start looking more at do I have food rules or what what is this thing that she's talking about that's you know well I mean and if you head to my website we talk about it a lot on different different blog posts if you if any of what we said like you know sounds like you I have a, a freebie of like eight hacks to start improving your relationship to food um and there's so many different things that you can do to start changing that conversation in your mind. Even just going to my course landing page, forkthenoise.com, like see if what I'm talking about there resonates with you. Because it's really easy to not recognize when you're drowning in wellness culture a lot of times now, um, and and you're living by these food rules that there could be an issue, especially because for most people, you know, my audience and myself, it was never a full-blown eating disorder. It was just yeah. eating. There was no weight fluctuations. There, It was all happening up here and nobody could see that. And so you, I didn't even know I was suffering myself for a long time until I kind of pulled it back and was like, wait a minute, you know, this is, this isn't right. Yeah. That's why I'm hoping that by some of the things that we're sharing in our experiences, it'll help people be like, oh, yeah, I do that. Or like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think about that. And when you back to when you started to realize that you were starting to eat this way or what you said, there are some things like happening in your life. Like, do you 
remember exactly like what it was that started to allow you to like open up from the food rules or like was it even like getting in a relationship or you're hanging around different people or like it was it was a few things one you know different driving factors at different points in my life but number one was I want to work with people in the future um if you have a problem Lisa you can't do that like if your goal is to help people you can't have a messed up relationship to food um and then yeah I feel like the icing on the cake was my relationship with this fiance that I have because food is such a tenant, a central central tenant of ours and how we spend time together and how we celebrate and even just how we check in with each other every day. Um, and I feel like that was kind of like the, the nail on the coffin that just kind of just like sealed it for me. And I started to really start to prioritize what I care about and value and put food kind of secondary to everything else. Because I'm guessing like you're probably out on a date and it's like then you're like brains going off with like, what am I allowed to order this? And he's just like, want, you're wanting to like spend time and be present with yeah. this person and enjoy the food and like, oh, do you want dessert? Do you want this or whatever? And you're like, ding, ding, ding. I know not. What yeah. can I do? I, like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And he's like a huge pasta eater. He's actually vegan. He's been vegetarian since he was 11 um, for his own right reasons. But pasta is like a huge food group for him. And from him, I even learned that like when I first started dating him, it had been so long since like I ordered pasta or made pasta that wasn't like chickpea or bread lentil or like whatever. And I was just like, no, I don't like pasta. Like that's like, I, I'm just going to get the salmon cause I don't like pasta. And I actually have learned that like, I love pasta. I just didn't know that I love pasta. You were like telling yourself the story of, I don't like it to save yourself from being like, I'm not allowed to eat it. Cause that yeah, could make 100%. me fat. <laughs> and like, that's a food that we have on our table. Like five to six nights out of the week. You know, most of the time it's like just a regular wheat pasta, no gluten allergies or issues with us. Other times it is the chickpea or red lentil. We like them both, but like, he's just opened my eyes to the fact of like, Oh, I actually like pasta. It could, it could be part of this plate and I'm still having a healthy meal. Yeah. That's what I remember when the cauliflower rice trend took off and then just cauliflower in general, like put cauliflower in your smoothie instead of fruit or like this. And I was just like, no, no. <laughs> and people would be like, oh, like cauliflower rice. And I'd be like, I well, like I sometimes. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to buy it sometimes and add it to my meal, but I'm not going to replace it rice because like I'm fine with rice. Yeah, I like the whole series, I think in like May or something on like on my blog about food substitutions and kind of talking about that. And to that exactly your point is like if you're using it as a substitution, that's problematic. If it's an addition, that yeah. is a different way to view it. Because I love cauliflower rice, but I'm not always choosing the cauliflower rice over the regular rice. Sometimes rice is just perfectly fine. Yeah. That's why I'm sometimes I'm like, cool, I'll, an easy way to add new exactly. more vegetables into this meal. It's like, but yeah, but if it's like, oh, now I don't, this is a bigger reminder that rice is bad. Uh-huh. So I can never use rice again. Now we use the healthy option of cauliflower yes, rice. Yes, yes. And like, also, like, we're, there's nothing wrong with rice. It's a, just a sort of, yeah. like, it's a one ingredient food that is made by nature. Like, it's actually naturally gluten-free. Like, there's... Yeah, that's no, why I was like, I don't have a problem with rice, so why do I need cauliflower? Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Anything else? I would love to go back to on the experience of, yeah, like, being a naturally thin person and that, like... I don't know if there's anything you want to share with like, I also make up that might be hard of like, yeah, like, especially you're like sharing pictures on Instagram in bathing suits and stuff like that. Or what does it feel like to be 
Does it some come back negatively to be like, I'm a nutritionalist. I'm someone that's teaching you to fork the noise and to listen to not listen to your food rules and to eat whatever you want. And I'm this naturally thin person. Was that a hard, like, do you have sometimes people come back, push back on you or you yourself? Do you have th- feelings of like, oh, I can't say this because of this? Or I mean, like, I try to always be sensitive to, you know, other people's feelings and tell my own without diminishing from anyone, taking from anyone else's experience. You know, what's that expression? Like there, you could be the sweetest peach and somebody won't like you. My goal isn't to be, you know, loved and fix everybody. I think that there's, there's different people who are doing what I do in a different body. And if somebody relates better to them than they do to me, fucking fantastic. Go speak to them. I'm not in competition with people that are trying to do the same things for with, you know, help us all improve. But when I tell this story, I try to do it compassionately. I, you know, my audience that already knows me is warmed up to the things that I say. They know my body. They, they know who I am. Um, yeah, there's, there's some sort of, you know, challenges, but I think that like, I'm oftentimes just like coaching myself, like, it's okay if this person doesn't agree or like you. And if, if I'm triggering somebody just by being, I in no way want to be doing that. So please just like unfollow me and don't listen to what I have to say. Because I, yeah. I look at people's things and they're not meaning to trigger me, but they do, right? Like yep. just because one influencer looks a certain way naturally, like could actually be, I could notice is really triggering me and she didn't mean to do it and she didn't say any, like just people don't mean to. So if I ever have that intention on somebody like let me go the same way I would tell somebody else to let somebody else go. Yeah. I can't change my body. Um, I understand that my message, your message isn't going to be for everyone. Not everyone's going to like you, right? Like there's just too many different ways to see the world. Um, And if somebody's receptive, by the way, I get plenty of people in bigger bodies that are very receptive to my message. If they, if I, can be a leader to them. I'm thrilled to, to do so, you know? Yeah. But I try and be super conscious and not, I would never intentionally put something on that. I it's, is triggering to somebody. Um, and yeah, I just, I try and be mindful, but at the same time, tell my story because I know that there's hundreds of girls just like me that are in my position yet still drowning. Yeah. And that's what it's like. I don't see it that way, but I, I won because in this podcast, I like to highlight like what are doubts and fears and real struggles that you might have and like how you push through it. But then also in that, I think, like I said, what you say is so the like, oh, yes, I so resonate it. But I could see where people then could it can be easier to point the finger or deflect than to actually look within. So it'll be like, I don't have those issues or I don't have food rules to then be like, what is that girl? Like they don't want to own or see their own part of in a, in a story so that they could then just like make you wrong. And the same thing with triggered, like I can get triggered by people that I love so much and I think have empowering messages, but it's like the word choices they use trigger me based on my, what I'm working on and my mindset and what the, my history and stuff like that. So it's like, I know, like, I love that person. I support them, but you know what? I'm constantly triggered by the message. So I can't follow them, but I'm still going to like love them, support them. I sometimes will check in and leave comments, but I just realize that sometimes when I'm seeing their stuff in my feed, it triggers me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I posted a picture of like the side of my butt recently because it has like a lot of stretch marks on it and I've never had weight fluctuations and I've never had babies. And at the same time, I've got these, you know, tiger stripes down my leg that I happen to, to love, but most I'd say 90% of the people that commented on my photo or the photo got reposted, like, 
oh my God, I have the same things and I've never had babies. And then there were, of course, the 10% that were like, fuck, fuck this skinny bitch. You know, what does she know about having this? She doesn't, hasn't, haven't had babies. She hasn't had weight loss. I have worse stretch marks. I have this. And it's like, in this moment, I've realized that like, I could try my best to help everybody, but there are just some people that are not going to like what I have to say because of this body that I'm in and not going to stop saying my message because that 90% that comes to my page for it comes to my page for it. Yeah. And so that's what, like, if you have any sort of doubt or fear about posting or sharing something, then it's reminding yourself yeah, I mean, of the people that do connect yeah, with your message. 100%. I think I always need to be asking myself, like, who does this serve? Um, if it serves nobody, don't post it. If it only serves me, don't post it. Not on the, right. on the well necessities page. If I feel that it could help, you know, my audience, then, then it's getting posted. And I'm, yeah, that isn't fun, by the way, but um, I'm, it's something that I'm trying to really, you know, wrap, wrap my head around and recognize that, like, I like to look at like bigger people's accounts who are like doing amazing things in the world and getting attacked no matter what. Um, and so just continuing to live out my purpose and, you know, not put blinders onto the haters. Cause I don't really like that, but show compassion to those people too, um, is really just what, what I'm about. Cause it, is there any practice you do for yourself or like if you realize that you get some negative comment that might actually like affect you, is there anything you do to help yourself get around it or get through it? I'm kind of just in this weird stage right now where I'm like, I feel like I'm transitioning and um, there are people that come to my page that don't necessarily like me or know me, whereas it used to just feel like this tight knit family. So um, in the last few weeks, I just kind of think of Instagram as like, I'm putting on this armor and whatever comes at me, my, my best friend, Carolyn gave me that piece of advice. She was like, why don't you just picture yourself like putting on armor when you go online? Therefore, like, it's just like this layer of separation where like, if somebody's attacking you, you can like choose to internalize that or, or not. Recently, one of my good friends was like getting attacked and we were like texting about it. And I was like, are you okay? Like you seem fine. So I'm not like extra stroking you. She's like, yeah, it hurts a little, but I'm trying to not whatever. And so you just don't realize that like everybody's getting stung. Um, even if you're, you're, you're used to being attacked. Um, but I, again, I just try and like lead with compassion. I would never fight with somebody that leaves a comment. I just try and tell my story in a made broad, um, in a, in a try and open somebody's eyes and back to how we communicate is like somebody could is either going to shut down or they're going to be receptive based on the words I choose to use. So yeah. just trying to think like that. Yeah. And it's also it's like usually if somebody is attacking, it's because they're it's like, yeah, triggering something within them. And so that, yeah, it's like a lot of times it's even if it's like painful, like, oh, I can't believe they said that to me or that's the way they think about me or whatever. Then it's like it it allows me to see actually have some compassion for them because it's like they must have like I'm, you know, like I'm not right. Perfect. I might not have said that the perfect way or whatever. And I take ownership for that but like i'm gonna somehow have hold compassion for that person because they've got something that they're struggling exactly. with you have two options you say oh fuck them you know or wait what are they saying why are they saying that is there truth to that do they just need a little bit of extra compassion today what are they going through and i plan to you know be on the internet for the long while and therefore i need to get thicker skin and more compassionate viewpoint for myself and and for others so that you know, the, the bigger the audience, the, the more maybe not so nice comments that are may come my way. Yeah. And I actually like, I've had some people write me messages that feel like, so like 
they do not like me. They do not resonate with me. I really, okay. And that I want to like block them or just not respond. And then I wait until I'm calm, of course. And that the times like I will then sometimes reply and sort of be like, I hear you, I see you and like send them some sort of message. I've been so surprised that several times people will then be like, oh, wow, thank you. Okay, thanks for saying it that way or that whatever. And then all of a sudden, like give me this outpouring of love that I was not trying to get. I was just sort of like, okay, this person is real upset about me or something I said or the way I said something or whatever. And that feels terrible. Right. And so part of me wants to be like, they're done. Like they don't like me. And I'm not trying to win them over, but it's also like, well, okay, fuck that person. I triggered something and they're struggling. So trying to send them love some way. And I've been like so shocked the times that then people come back like <gasps> venting this whole story to me or whatever and thanking me. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm like, <laughs> they just wanted to be heard. Yeah. <laughs> like I triggered them. And then I actually like ended up inviting them to have a conversation and then some they saw something. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Should you? It doesn't happen all that time. <laughs> totally. It doesn't matter. It's still beautiful and a good lesson that everybody just wants to be heard and seen and validated. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you some questions that I ask everybody. One is, what is a go-to for you to raise your joy levels? So if you're feeling like low off that day, whatever, and it could be anything. It doesn't have to be yeah. wellness-esque. Yeah. In the summertime, <laughs> getting outside in nature, I like love trees. If I live by the ocean, it would probably be the ocean. Um, and in the wintertime, when I need to raise my joy, it's to get off of my phone and um, human touch, human eye contact. Hmm. Yeah, because human eye contact. If I'm feeling low, I'm feeling like alone and eye contact and human touch like provide you with a sense of safety, but you kind of run from it when you are going yeah. a million miles an hour. I do. Yeah. And say you. I do. Yeah, get that. It can be easy to like isolate exactly when you're feeling. <laughs> Love that. Okay. I um had this thought a while back and now I ask everybody how to apply it to themselves. The thought is what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Can you think of a way to apply that to your own life? What is easiest for me is to do this. What is best for me is to do this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, for, for a long while, um, mornings are really tough for me. I'm a really um, bad sleeper. Um, it's kind of an old story that I'm still telling because I've gotten much better at sleeping. But nonetheless, um, I was a self-sabotager in the mornings for a very long time. You know, in college, that would be like skipping class. Um, and because it was easier to, in that moment, it, it was being late to work many times in jobs. Um, it was easier to, to stay in bed and, and relish in that story. But what is best for me is to uh, show up and, and be there for my responsibilities. Yeah. So you would like not even just, yeah, like sleep in, like you would even go late to work, not show up to class because you're telling yourself, I'm a bad sleeper. Like I'm a bad sleeper. You need this sleep. You need to rest if you need, if you're going to like function for the rest of the day and told myself that story, hit the snooze, you know, hit the alarm off. And it was just this self-sabotage cycle. And now I ask myself what's best for me. And that's showing up for my responsibilities, whether that's my job or clients or whatever it is that I have scheduled that day. Not to say that there are some days that I can't sleep late, but they're, you know, not when I have a place to be or someone waiting for me. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. This next one I'm going to, I'm not, I'm like still learning screen sharing on this, but I have keychains in my product line that all say something different. And I ask each guest to choose which keychain 
it's not necessarily which phrase they like the most, but like which reminder they most need right now. So picking which of these phrases you feel you most need to be reminded of right now. Um, I like let that shit go. And why is that? Because uh, I um, I'm a ruminator. If something or somebody upsets me, I play it over my head a zillion times and it takes away from the present moment or being productive. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. The last question is the name of the podcast is claim it, meaning that I feel like it's up to us to claim our enoughness, to claim our value, to claim our joy, to claim everything for ourselves that as much as other people can be giving it to us, validating us, we usually won't feel it unless we claim it for ourselves. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? I am claim what are some options? <laughs> like what sort of things? Uh I mean it could be anything. Like I'm claiming who I am. I'm claiming that I am doing important work. I'm claiming my worth. I'm claiming that I'm enough. I'm claiming okay. my mornings. <laughs> yeah. So I recently made a, a big life change that I'm not ready to talk about yet. Um, but I am claiming that I will be the sole factor of if I want to stick with this change or, or not. And there is uh, no judgment if I don't move forward with it. And I, I claim that I will do best for myself based on what I need and not allow outside influences to change that. Love that. And so important. It's so easy to take feedback of others and then try to act like that's more important than our own. Exactly. Thoughts, feelings. Ugh. Thanks. <laughs> Such a great podcast. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. And I'm, um, yeah, I'm so excited to share this and keep sharing all I like yeah I so support everything that you share and do because like I said the more awareness of following you has made me more aware of the like ahas and different things that I have and still like struggle with it from seeing it come up and like oh yeah oh right and that we don't diet culture wellness culture now everything is like such a thing that what yeah and all these pretend rules that we live with yes. thank you so much it was so fun doing this you're welcome I hope you now love, if you didn't already, love Lisa as much as I do. You can find full show notes at yourdurologist.com slash podcast. You can find more about Lisa at thewellnessnecessities.com and at thewellnessnecessities on Instagram. Make sure to check out her program, Fork the Noise. So good. <laughs> I really love pretty much everything she shares on Instagram. I'm just like, yes, thank you for saying this. Yes. Thank you for being who you are and putting this out in the world. <laughs> so, and also of course, for all things me, yourdurologist.com. I'm at yourdurologist on Instagram. Please share the episode, tag us, DM us, let us know what parts really spoke to you. And even more, please rate and review the podcast. I really love to know what you think. <laughs> and then you can screenshot it and email it to me, podcast at yourdurologist.com. Each week, I pick someone who sent me the screenshot to win a box full of my goodies from my product shop. I've got mugs, journals, wine glasses, the affirmation deck, the keychains, of course, notepads, and more. So let me know what you think. And as a final note, 
How about today with the theme of episode, we think about what food rules have I been following that I'm ready to fork? (laughs) All right. See you next week or keep on listening to more episodes if you haven't caught up already.